Hey, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5 tonight. So one of the things that, um, oh, let me do this. You want me to turn this on, Howard? Is that easier? fixing on walking around and you know how that is you good now maybe all right so 32 years have passed since chapter four nebuchadnezzar is gone daniel is probably in his 80s uh he has probably reached a level of retirement there have been six uh tumultuous years since the death of Nebuchadnezzar. And in those six tumultuous years, they've had four different kings. So they do this thing, you know, where nobody can quite hold the throne. It passes from one guy, he, somebody kills him or he dies. The next guy, same thing. Next guy, same thing. And until you get a son-in-law, Nabonidus is a son-in-law. Nebuchadnezzar married one of his daughters. And Nabonidus takes and holds the throne till the end. But Nabonidus is a pretty devout moon worshiper. And he doesn't really like Babylon. So he moves out to Edom. And basically he rules until the end of his days or until the conquering of the Medo-Persian Empire uh, from uh, Edom. And he leaves in his place his son Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is where we find ourselves when we begin in Daniel chapter 5. It says, uh, King Belshazzar made a great feast. Now, normally you would say, well, who's he? Well, now you know. This is a king, 32 years later. He's the, he's the son of the king that was the last man standing in six years of, of uh, political upheaval. And now he is ruling and reigning. And it happens to be the birthday of the king. You guys know what they do on the birthday of the king? They throw a big party. So they're having this huge party. You guys have all heard this story before, right? They're throwing this huge party. And the point of the party is to celebrate the birthday of the king. Now... Cyrus knows this. So Cyrus, several miles upriver from Babylon, has already begun damming the river, which is going to bring the flow of the river down to about thigh deep. It's going to expose the, the ability for them to wade through the river under the wall. But nobody notices because everybody's partying. Now at the time, uh, Babylon, the, the feet, the, the walls are around 300 feet tall. That's big walls. They're very broad, very wide. There's rumors that they used to have chariot races on top. I don't know. I couldn't find any factual historical evidence of that. But that's the, that's the tradition anyway, that they used to race uh, uh, chariots on top of the walls, and Babylon was sitting secure. Now, they know the Medo-Persians are coming, but they're not worried because they're Babylon. How could anybody get to Babylon? 
And it's a big party, and everyone is partying. Everybody. In fact, by the time we get to the end of the chapter, there will be some people who didn't stop the party and didn't even know that they were under the rule of a new king until a couple days later. So as we look, we see the beginning of Daniel chapter 5 is the corruption of Belshazzar. And there's, some, there's something for us to understand in this. Belshazzar didn't learn from the lessons, uh, uh, the, his own family's history lessons. He didn't learn from. And that's something we need to be aware of. We all know the stories of the Bible, the things God's done, how God delivered, when God judged. We read all those stories. If we don't learn from those stories, then we could find ourselves just as corrupt as Belshazzar. Thirty years have passed since his, his grandfather went crazy and then still retained his kingdom. And now he's on the throne. Look what he does. He's called for a thousand of his lords to drink wine in front of the thousand. So Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine... He commanded, he said, this wine's not, we can't just drink out of regular goblets. So he commanded the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, remember that term father in Hebrew just means ancestor. It could be his father, it could be his grandfather, it could be his great-grandfather. So it is a term honoring the, usually the famous one in the family line, right? Like they would, Israel would of David. He was a good king like his father David. Yeah, but he's way down the line. Get what I'm saying? So here he says, look, he, he, this father Nebuchadnezzar had taken these um, vessels of gold and silver from the temple when he conquered Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple. There's no temple there. And they brought the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple from the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now, if you remember the lesson from two weeks ago, God's issue with the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, was his pride, right? The pride of all the things he had, uh, uh, um, how he had grown the kingdom, how he had developed the kingdom. He'd, he failed to understand from Daniel's um, ministry to him all the way back from chapter 2 on that it was the God of the universe that raised up kings and established kingdoms and that it was God who had given to Nebuchadnezzar the kingdom. Now his son or his grandson is on the throne and it seems like we're starting all over again because we don't always learn from the experience of those who go before us. A lot of times the issue is our own arrogance and our own pride. You see, we're pretty sure that if, if only I had my chance, I'd do it better. We see this very well in the United States of America. Right now, there's this great experiment where in the U.S. we'd love to see socialism. Even though every example of socialism ended horrifically, people will say, well, yeah, but I wasn't doing it. Okay, because if you were doing it, you wouldn't be corrupt like the rest of them. You're the one moral person who's, who's able to carry through. 
It's a failure to learn from history, from the things that are going on around us. We, we all know the saying, we've heard it for year upon year upon year, those who don't learn from history are what? Doomed to repeat it. You guys have heard it. But in our world today, we want to cut off all the lessons learned from previous generations and we want to start over. And that's why we keep doing the same cycles over and over and over again. Because we don't take the time to learn. I didn't either. When I was a young person, now I'm older. When I was a young person and I'd look at the old people, I was like, what is wrong with you guys? When will you guys just stop being in charge and put me in charge? And if you'll do that, everything will be okay. But you know, the funny thing happened. One day I did get in charge. And it didn't change. And then one day I'll be gone and someone else will be in charge. And it'll be the same. Because we all have the same thing in common. We have an arrogant attitude toward those who have gone before us. And we don't believe that whatever happened to them could happen to us. So that's why... You know, students across the land can believe that we could make a run at socialism and make it work. And it won't be like it was in Russia, or it won't be like it was in China, or it won't be like it was in Venezuela, or it won't be like it was anywhere else. Because we'll do it right. Well, here you have Belshazzar thinking those same thoughts. Belshazzar is like, hey, finally got rid of the old man. My gosh, I thought Nebuchadnezzar was going to be around forever. And we finally got rid of <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar. And so he shows contempt for El Elyon. El Elyon is God most high. Remember chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar declared that Yahweh was God most high. He was El Elyon. He was chief. He was the true King of kings, Lord of lords. That was his own testimony to his kingdom. But now you see we are, we've taken a step back. Now we're praising the gods of gold and silver. Wealth, conquering. It's not his conquering. Belshazzar didn't do anything. But he's inheriting it. And so he's celebrating the things that he has. And while this is going on, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared. And wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Now, is that going to freak you out? We still have sayings today, right? Can't you see the handwriting on the wall? God, all that's referring back to this story. So Belshazzar, he's, he's drinking. They're getting wasted. They're celebrating. Meanwhile, the armies of the enemy are slowly working their way into the city, conquering from the outside in. And so as they're coming, this hand writes on the wall. It says, the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him and his limbs gave way and his knees knocked. Now, a lot of people don't want to tell you what all that means. They just like to say, well, he was just really afraid. Yeah. Who said it? And here it comes. Do you? 
So, okay. I will succumb to my wife's encouragement. So, you guys use your imagination. His knees knocked together. He was very afraid. So afraid, he made a mess. And the king called loudly to bring the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. Now, every time another king came on, they would have their own council. Now, this is what they would call the wise men. Now, the chief of the wise men is still Daniel. But nobody's called on Daniel since the days of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar's been gone at least six years at this point. And Daniel's pretty old, so he don't mind not being called. So they call all the wise Now, doesn't this story start to sound familiar? So they call all the wise men, and they don't know what's going on. Do you, does it make you wonder why they call them the wise men? Why do they call them the wise men? They never know what's going on. Well, I want to encourage you. The wise men knew what was going on. Nobody wants to tell the king. It's a language they could read. This is not difficult to comprehend. Maybe the interpretation for how does this apply to the king, but basically when you know what the words mean, you go, oh, yeah, that's something. It means bad, something bad. It's not good. They know this is, this is Aramaic. They spoke it. So they, they look up at the wall. He gathers them all. He says, hey, let's get all the wise men, the Chaldeans, the king, Declared to the wise men, whoever reads this and shows me its interpretation will be clothed in purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and be the third ruler in the kingdom. Why does he say the third ruler? Because Nabonidus is a true king, Belshazzar is a ruler in Babylon, and whoever solves this will be the third. Nabonidus will be the high, Belshazzar, I'm sure, will be the second, and then the, the one who's able to solve it will be the third. And so... All the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. So they look, I, I don't believe it. I believe that's what they said. But I don't believe. I think they looked at it and they said, many, many, tekel, you farsen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, those are common words. It's not, it's not like complicated words. It's not like it was up there in Italian or something that they didn't know. So they look at it, and they're like, yeah, nope, I don't know it, and I don't know, nope, you don't, there's no way I'm telling you what that says. This is Jackie's opinion. You can take it or leave it. It doesn't really change the story at all. The point is, they wouldn't tell him the interpretation. So King Belshazzar is greatly alarmed. There's a hand, just showed up, wrote a message on a wall. It's probably important that I know what this message is all about. What is it that this means? What does it tell me? It says his color changed. He got pale. He's having a hard time with all of his bodily functions right now. He's been drinking too much, and all this partying has gone to his head, and all the lords are perplexed. It says in verse 10, Then the queen, because of the words of the kings and his lords, came to the banqueting hall, and the queen declared. So now finally a woman is going to speak, and everybody's going to know what's going on, right? O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. 
And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So they get Daniel. They wake him up. He's probably already in bed. They bring him before the king. Daniel answered, and, uh, or the king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel of the exiles of Judah, whom my father brought from Judah? So first he reminds him, Are you the Daniel of all them slaves that we brought? Yeah. That my father brought here from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and enchanters have been brought in before me to read the writing and make known its interpretation. But they cannot do it. They cannot show me the interpretation. You think at this point in Daniel's history, he's heard this all before? Right, we're on chapter 5, so we've heard it like five times. Wise men couldn't figure it out. Ah, I know, get Daniel. It reminds me of the Life uh, cereal commercial. You guys remember? Let's eat, let's eat it. No, I'm not going to, you eat it. I'm not going to eat it. You, let's get Mikey. Except instead of Mikey, it's Daniel. Let's get Daniel. So they, so the king rehearses all this. Look, Daniel is able, Daniel will be able to do it. And so he promises him these, these gifts. Look at the, the promise he gives them. He says, oh, uh, now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you'll be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around your neck. And shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So Daniel said, uh, it's keep your gifts. Why did Daniel tell him, keep your gifts? Well, you don't need them. But what else? Uh, it's not yours to give anymore. You just don't know it yet. It's not yours. He says to him, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing. To the king, make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God, El Elyon, he gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship, greatness, and glory, and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. Whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and sets over it. Whom he will. So he's reminding, all through here, he's reminding Belshazzar the history he knew. You know these things. You've been there. You experienced these same things before. And so here's what he says in verse 22. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. You knew these things, though you knew all of this. All of this history, you know grandpas like to sit with their grandkids and tell them stories. 
You don't think that's new, right? So they tell him the stories. You don't think Nebuchadnezzar never sat down and bouncing little Belshazzar on his knee and telling him about God Most High and how God uh, taught him who he was, what God had done for him, how God had shown himself in his life? For sure he did. But it didn't stick. Didn't stick. That's just that crazy old guy talking. When's he going to get off the throne so I can get on there? And so he knew these things. And Daniel, he's 82 years old. He don't care. What are you going to do to me? Go ahead. Put me out of my misery. I'll go home. So he's standing in front of him and he tells him, what's up? He says, look, you... Did not learn, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. Belshazzar showed contempt for El Elyon, God Most High. He showed contempt. He went and took the vessels for the temple. He used them to drink. He praised other gods while he drank those vessels. And he knew the stories. Same stories you and I know. The same stories that Nebuchadnezzar had shared with his son and his son's son. Though you knew all this, so you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk, drunk wine from the vessels and praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But God in whose hand is your very breath, God most high, and whose all and and whose are all your ways, him you have not honored. Now, most of the time, we think our battle is with other people. We think our battle is with um, you know, whatever. Maybe we're having a rough time at work, so our battle's against our boss. Or we're the, the people we are um, uh, renting, have our apartment rented from, maybe it's them. Maybe it is, you know, whatever. Whatever it can be, we start to think that the, our enemies are flesh and blood. What did Paul tell us in Ephesians? Yeah, it's, our, it's not about flesh and blood, right? There's something else going on. Sometimes God's working. Didn't he? Sometimes God's moving in our life. Sometimes he's moving in mine. I'm sitting in my office at home today, and I'm trying to finish up study, and my wife comes up, and she's, she says, Oh, hon, the A to B van is stuck in our driveway. He can't get out. So he, he had tried to turn around and drove out in my grass, and once he hit the grass, I was there. He was not going nowhere. So I get out there, and here's this fella, and he's, you know, doing the best he can. Recently had a stroke. One arm doesn't work. So I find the toe strap, and I walk over to that van, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, man, we should just call it toe trap. Because that thing is laying on the snow. That's how low it is. And there's no hook on the bumper. So I got to go all the way under to the rear end. And there's no really good way to do that except to get on my back and shimmy through the snow. I, 
two, I have to get all the way down to the ground. So this, I, I don't know how much snow, how much snow is over there, six, eight inches? So six or eight inches of snow, just, get, you know, down your shirt, down your back, wrap the strap around. It was very simple to get them out once we got it all attached. But it's easy in all those things to think, man, what, all you have to do is drive straight. Look, grass is not so hard and start thinking that it's about him or about mistakes that somebody else made or why am I paying for somebody else's mistakes or somebody else's. In reality, God is giving you opportunity. God has given you opportunity, just like he gives me opportunity to humble yourself. God's given us opportunity to, to say, hey, I'm a, I am a tool in the hands of God. I'm a, what do you got for me? How do you want me to do this? How do you want me to move? How do you want me to, to be or, or, or accomplish whatever things you've got for me today, even if it's crawling under a minivan, you know, sitting all the way down on the snow? Because the guy, when I pulled him out and I, you know, just shook his hand, said, hey, don't, no worries, it's all good. You know, I, want, I would want somebody to do that for me when I'm an older man and I can't do it no more. I don't want to look at all the circumstances or the trials. And the last two years for me have been brutal. So it's been, I've, I have spent a lot of time in the last two years looking at people thinking that they're the enemy. And, and finding out at the end of the story, oh, it was not about them, nor were they the enemy. But it was very much so about God teaching me to humble myself, get out of my own way. Look not out just for your own interest, but for the interest of others, right? So often I end up being the middle, the primary point of the day and God here is reminding Belshazzar hey dude you're not the cog upon which the wheel of the world spins just like he had to tell Nebuchadnezzar right just like we need to understand we need to understand that no matter what's going on there's still <clears throat> there is still opportunity for us no matter where we are in the age spectrum, I have a lot of guys who get older and say, well, what, what should I do now? What do I do? Well, get a young person under your arm and start pouring some wisdom on them. Or I'm too young, what should I do? Get an old person with his arm on you and let him pour wisdom in you and you pour a little energy in him. Because together, we can strengthen one another and be better together way better than being divided being separated being pulled apart and so we want to say okay lord what do you have and so he's saying to belshazzar you're not honoring god you're sitting there thinking you're the main guy you're the main thing you're doing you're making dumb decisions you're doing all these things that say you have contempt for god so he says, so this is what Daniel says. So from God's presence, he sent this hand. This hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing. Many, many tekel you farsen. Many, many tekel you farsen. This is the interpretation. 
of the matter. Many. Mina. You guys have heard of that, right? The, the parable of the minas. Minas. To one guy, five. To another, two. To another, one. You guys remember? So here he says, hey, what many, many, many. It's repeated. So when it's repeated, it's emphasized. What's being emphasized? The interpretation is God has numbered your days. The word means to number. So he's laying out for him here. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom, and it's over. Remember what I told you. Cyrus and his army is coming under the walls right now while this is going on. Nobody knows. God knows, but nobody knows. Nobody sees them. They don't even have to shoot an arrow. There's not even a fight. Round up all the drunk guys. Put them in that cage over there. We'll talk to them tomorrow. So many, many, many. God has numbered your days, the days of your kingdom, and brought it to the end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Tekel means weight. It's uh, uh, has a, a word you're familiar with as part of the same family. Shekel. You heard of shekel? So tekel means... Uh, to be weighed. So you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez is a singular word. You'll notice in the writing it was euphorsin. You, in Aramaic, means and. And farsin is the plural of Perez. Perez means divided. Your kingdom has been divided. And given to the Medes and the Persians. So Daniel lays out for him what's going on. It's Aramaic. It's common language. It'd be like somebody looking at, now, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. For you and I, this might, maybe sounds weird. For them, it was how they wrote all the time. But only the consonants are written. So there's no vowels. So you have to know by what's going on what vowels to put in there. But they, they wrote this way all the time. For them. For you and I, we might go, oh yeah, I could see how that'd be hard to understand. I don't even know how to do it now. Later on, as the language developed, they used pointers to tell them what vowels were supposed to be in which words. But here, he says, look, this is a common tongue used of the, of the poor. The people understood it. They understood this. They understood um, numbered, weighed, divided. Numbered, weighed, divided. And it's probably bad. So I'm not telling them. You tell them. Let's go get Daniel. Daniel, you tell them. So Daniel says, hey, your days are numbered and finished. You've been weighed and found wanting. We always think that the judgment of God that God somehow has to give us at least one chance. That's kind of a human thing we have, right? God has to give me a chance. Why? Where is that rope? So the chance Belshazzar had was to learn from the people who went before him. And I question... 
that I would ask is, are you learning from the people who have gone before you? Are you making the same mistakes over and over and over? Well, God's a God of grace for sure and a God of forgiveness. And he has not dropped his hand of judgment. That doesn't mean he won't. Doesn't mean that the enemy's coming under the gate or that he's not coming under the gate. We want to understand the lessons that Belshazzar should have known. So Belshazzar gave the command. Well, this is great for, you know, for Daniel. He's going to be a third ruler of the kingdom for an hour and a half. So Belshazzar gave the command. Daniel's clothed in purple. So now he's royalty. They clothed him in purple. They put around his neck gold. They made a proclamation. He's the third ruler of the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar was killed. So he never got, there was never another morning. That was it. And scripture says in verse 31, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. Now, Isaiah 45, 150 years before Cyrus was born, declared that the servant, God's servant, Cyrus, was going to set the children of Israel free. One of the things that made Cyrus such a great conqueror and why all the slaves and exiles loved him is because he set them all free. One of the things he did when he took over was to let the exiles go. 150 years before he was born, Isaiah named him. My servant Cyrus will set the people free. And Cyrus is the one who took this over. So where's Darius the Mede come from? What in the world is going on with that? And people have argued about this for a long time. They've argued about who is Darius the Mede and where's he at? We look all over the annals of history for Darius the Mede and people have different ideas about who he was or what he's about. And I'm going to give you my opinion just because I have the mic and so I get to do that. When Cyrus comes into the territory, when he conquers, he can't stay. When Cyrus comes in, he has two generals, Gubaru and Ugbaru. Now, in English, they're similar, but obviously there's two letters switched around, right? Gubaro and Ugbaro. These are his two generals. Ugbaro is going to die within a couple of days of conquering Babylon. He gets sick. Uh, he doesn't get hurt, but he gets sick through the process, and he's going to die in Babylon. And Gubaro, he is made the king of Babylon. He's placed there. Cyrus is the king of kings, just like Nabonidus. Cyrus is the king over it all. He's the ruler over it all. But Gobirus is the satrap. So when the king leaves, he's the king's voice. He was a Mede, and the Medes had a title for their rulers. Want to guess what it was? Darius. So he is Darius the Mede, who's going to learn about God Most High next chapter. Because the story, see, before we get to the prophecies that God gave to Daniel, 
Daniel lays out these stories so that we would understand the foundation, right? It's great. We can talk about all the incredible parts of the prophecy, but if you don't know that Yahweh is God most high, that he is the king of kings and lord of lords, if you don't know that he is looking for those who would humble themselves before him, that he is opposing the proud and he is elevating the humble, if you do not know that you need to come to him, submitted to him, like once upon a time, a Hebrew youth did, who didn't wake up one day and say, you know what I want to be today? A eunuch. That's not what he said. In fact, no young male child in the history of the earth woke up in the morning one day and said, I want to be a eunuch. But God's plan for Daniel... Maybe it wasn't what Daniel's plan for himself was. But it was a good plan, wasn't it? And you know what Daniel did from the beginning, from chapter 1? You know what Daniel did? He said, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's delicacies. I'm not going to let myself get distracted from all the things that want to take my attention somewhere else. I got to keep my eyes focused on the king. You know what I mean? Because this world's easy. Anybody ever get distracted watching politics? Yeah, should probably stop doing that. Anybody ever get distracted on Facebook? You should probably stop doing that too. Anybody ever get distracted by anything? Something gets in our vision, and that's all I can see. It happens to me. I'm, it's just kind of dumb. I don't know. You guys, I'll just tell you guys. But, you know, I don't know. When, back when my wife made me go to the doctor, and they don't let me have monsters anymore. I appreciate those of you who have seen me buying monsters at the co-op and you haven't called Kathy, so <laughs> thank you. Um, but one of the things that, you know, the doctor was saying, I'm too stressed out. And the problem is, in my, in my mind, I have all these other things that have become bigger than God. This situation, this situation, whatever. This is bigger than God. This is so big, and I can't stop thinking about it. And I I'm sure it doesn't happen to you guys, but it's hard for me to turn my brain off. So then, you know, it didn't happen when I was younger, but now that I'm older, I can't turn my brain off, so I, I, won't, I can't sleep. So I'll go lay down in bed and flop around for a while, and then I get up and sit in my office in my chair, put my feet up on the desk, and worry about whatever the thing is. And... God wants us to know that thing I'm worrying about, he put in my life. He brought it to the place where it's at. Not to destroy me, not to freak me out, not to get my, rob me of sleep. To show me that all the things I think I got handled, there's still a few things I need to work on. That ever happened to you guys? Where you recognize, you know, maybe I'm not as surrendered as I think I am. Or I'm not as submitted as I think I am. And I go, look, Lord, you need to do this my way now. I've been trying it your way and it's not working out. I want this and I'd like it now. And the Lord says, no. 
And then I'd set a deadline. Well, if it's not like this by tomorrow, and the Lord laughs. Sometimes I think I hear it. And then tomorrow comes and goes. And a week later, and two weeks, and a month, three months, whatever. And all the while I sit in that chair and I worry and I don't sleep and I do all these things. What am I supposed to do? Come on, you guys know. Some of you I give the verse to. Eric, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Yep, you know the you know the place. What's it say? It says be anxious all the time. What's it say? <laughs> be anxious for nothing. With thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. And what's next? Here's the important part. What's the important part? My wife knows it. She tells me all the time. Did you hear that part? Boy, we back up. I don't know if everybody heard it. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make a request known with thanksgiving, and the peace of God will guard your heart. Oh, man. I didn't have no peace. It took a while for me to learn that lesson. Well, some people say, Jackie, you're not there yet. I'm way closer than I was, I can tell you that. So the point of all that is, I just want you to understand the stories in Daniel as we do these six chapters. Because they're all, you're going to hear the same thing over and over and over again. Belshazzar wouldn't learn. Nebuchadnezzar did. Daniel submitted himself, even though the life he got was not the one he would have chose. But did God use him in incredible ways? And was he incredibly blessed? But the problem is he never got to have children. He never had a wife. None of that. But you know, Daniel didn't look at what he did not have. He looked at who he did have. And Daniel had, hi honey, Daniel had, El Elyon, God Most High. And with God Most High, he had everything he needed. So before we flip over all the prophecies and look at all the incredible things God told through Daniel about what was going to happen in the nation and the coming of Messiah and when he was going to come and when they could expect him and why they, were, why they should have known he was going to be there, before we get into all that, we have to understand the point. Ask yourself, as we close out, ask yourself, am I submitted to God and surrendered to him? Do I trust him? Because I can only guarantee you one thing. The road you're on is not going to be exactly like you want it to be. But Daniel says, God's in charge. He's taking you down the twists and the turns. And you got a choice. You can choose contempt, like Belshazzar, or you can choose surrender, like Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, Darius the Mede. You can choose to learn those lessons and say, yes, Lord, okay, you're driving, I'm along for the ride, let's go. And it really changes my attitude. When I when I do when I do that, I gotta stop stepping on wires.
Where is it? All right, let's go before the Lord. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We can consider your word, Lord. We thank you for the truth that your word declares to us, God. I know, you know, just for me, God, things in life are challenging. It's been a challenging time, and as much as I've been telling my 25 years of ministry, I've been saying, well, pretty soon it's going to be different. So, so far, well, I've never been right about that. But God, you have always been there. You have always been there to offer me peace when I just stop the worry and start trusting you. When I trust in the Lord with all my heart and don't lean into my own understanding, when I acknowledge you and everything I do, then you will guide me. You will take me where I need to go. When I get out of my seat of worry and I put my eyes focused on you, Lord, and I say, God, Lord, here's the issues, and I pray and I lay them out, and I'm thankful God, thank you that you're moving, and thank you that you're with me, even though all these things suck and I don't like them. I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're with me. I thank you that you are guiding me and leading me. Sometimes we look around and we say, I have nobody to stand with me. And then you just say, the Lord is my shepherd shall not want he is with me he is guiding he is leading and he is worthy of my trust and no matter where he takes me even if it's the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil because he is with me his rod and his staff they comfort me I'm comforted by the correction and discipline of God He's here, and he's with you. So, Lord, I pray we learn these lessons, apply these things, and walk, God, committed and submitted unto you, Lord, with our eyes lifted up to the prize. There is a day coming, I promise you, and all the suffering of this present time will not be worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed then. Lord God, we trust you. We believe you. Our hope is in you. We pray you be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.